0: And look, it's 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 still a journey. Like I'm still learning all the time, and it's it's not something, unfortunately, that you just master. Uh, I still have still have bad days, but I think probably they don't go from like.
1: Hello and welcome to the Off Field Rugby Pod. My name is Brian Moylette. I'm a former Irish underage international, and this podcast is for young rugby players. I chat with players and coaches at the top of the game about their journey and get their insights so that you can learn from them. Please follow me on Instagram at offfieldrugby, share the pod with friends, and make sure that you're subscribed so you don't miss an episode. Today I'm chatting with Connacht's David Heffernan. We chat about Connacht, where they're at, and the culture in the squad. Heff also talks about what it's like in Ireland camp and what Andy Farrell has advised the players to do more of away from the field. Growing up, Heff was a back row, mainly a 6, and in his early 20s he converted to playing hooker. He explains why he did it, even though he had an academy contract in Connacht as a back row. He found the transition quite difficult and he opens up about the struggles that he had during this time. He also talks about what he did to learn to cope with the pressure he was under playing for Connacht and there are so many lessons and learnings in this one. He also talks about other internal battles he had during his career like being overly self-critical. Harden himself and not dealing with nerves so well on big occasions in the past. We also chat about his thoughts on potentially playing rugby elsewhere in the future, his plans for retirement and lots more. So here's episode 43 with David Heffernan. A lot of people stress about money. Where should you be investing? Are you prepared if there's a crash? And loads more. And if you're not an expert, finances can be really daunting. I know the people at Sparks Wealth, and they're brilliant. What they do is they educate you on your finances without any jargon. They create a personalized plan for you and manage your money so that it's working for you. And so you don't need to be worrying about it. You can book a free, no obligation, Zoom call now on their website, sparkswealth.ie. That was a trip to South Africa.
0: It was good, yeah. Um, really enjoyable, actually. Um, I suppose it's rare enough to get opportunities like that. Um, and and the squad we walked over is kind of all the lads really that'll be there next year. Um, I think that was part of the thinking behind uh, some of the selections. Um, and it was really good. Like the, those kind of trips are hugely beneficial for for team building. Um, you get a chance to mix with guys that maybe you wouldn't generally throughout the season. Um, Yeah, because guys are obviously living in a different place than Galway, and uh, not that there's any clicks or anything in Connacht, but um, I think those kind of tours are great for just uh, squad building, having those chats with people that you might not normally have a chance to talk to if you're not sitting beside someone in the dressing room, things like that. Um, So yeah, I think you you, you do build good relationships, and um, obviously the the Sharks game was really disappointing with how it finished up, but um, there was a lot of positives to take out of the couple of weeks. Um, uh, Yeah, I think since the since probably the build-up to the first Leinster game or the first Leinster game in the Champions Cup. There's been a lot of growth in the squad. Um, Again, in in those four weeks, there's been massive ups and and massive downs as well. But um, I suppose a lot of the small conversations we were having as a group um, in the last four weeks or something we probably hadn't had um, this season or in previous seasons. So um, as frustrating as it's been, um, at times there has been some some real good stuff over the last four or five weeks Um, and I think the tour are going to help that a lot too
1: nice one and what what do you mean by small conversations
0: so I suppose uh, what I noticed when I went up to Ireland camp um, and I think Andy Farrell has been massively pushing this is kind of uh, everyone talks about player-led player-led meetings and stuff like that and some of it's some of us just talk with some coaches, but I think up, up in camp you, you can really see um you can really see what he means by that. There's there might be the back three guys uh, huddled around a laptop. It might only be ten or fifteen minutes, or even five minutes at times. Just uh, having little discussions about things like um for for a front row example, like over the last few weeks we've had a, a lot of player led scrum meetings. Um, not that we never had them before, but um I think it's just been really emphasised over the last over the last while and. Um it's it's been hugely beneficial to the group. Like see, in, in Ireland camp, you see it, um there's a real there is a real player-led focus to it. Um uh there's got guys, guys up there like Hugh Coquine, for example, like he's you know constantly asking questions. Um Farrell Farrell's uh once says so be curious all the time. And and that's not not just about like your specific role, but how how your role can impact um other players on the team whether it's it's a move like you you might know your detail perfectly but um i suppose in a a greater game awareness um of how your your actions impact the whole the whole move the whole pattern or the whole game so um we've we've kind of bought that in the last few weeks a little bit and now we're a long way away from where we need to be but um those conversations have started happening there's a lot more accountability you know um at training, like if there's something that goes wrong, probably in the past, earlier on in the season, we would have probably let it slide, but it might just be sending someone sending someone a message in the evening after you've reviewed training saying, Oh, what were, what were you thinking here? Or, um, how did my, if I got my role wrong, how did that impact you? Um it's, it's those little micro chats you have uh, around the game. Um, I know myself, I found it uh, really beneficial. To have those conversations and, and there's a bit of a bit of learning from your peers as opposed to just getting feedback from the coaches all the time and um, so when you start to tap into you know getting feedback from 30 40 other players in the squad rather than just relying on coaches feedback um I think that that helps grow the team a lot too
1: yeah for sure and it's something that I think it's interesting in that yeah you have to not take things personally and it's come up in a couple other chats and reading Owen eastwood's book now belonging and he said that like working with i don't know south african cricket team and just these kind of things like you know if i said hey hef that ball in the line that i was jumping and you you threw it off or whatever if you say to me like hey your movement there like i know when i was younger it would be like who's he to be saying that to me you know
0: (laughs) yeah 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 Yeah. no that, that that's exactly what it is um i think rugby's brilliant for that like you can't um yeah, you learn to accept criticism very quickly. Probably in other workplaces, that's it's not really as much of a thing. But um, you can't you can't take things personally, enough because um, every single thing you do has been reviewed from four or five different camera angles, and and yeah, you have to be really honest about it. And um, I know myself with my throwing, and um, having those conversations the second row, was like like how, how they like certain throws thrown, like the speed of the ball and stuff like that, um, and and building that connection particularly with the line of caller, but like you you also have to know if you're throwing to certain guys, like they're probably not gonna jump as high as other guys, like if you're throwing to Gap to it's gonna be an offense to Connor Oliver, it's gonna be quite different, you know what I mean? Um and and talking to the guys around that, how they like the ball been thrown or what their triggers are, um helps a lot. And yeah, I think I think that peer feedback when you get it, you, you can't take it personally because 'cause you're all you're all in the same, you're all trying to get better. So I think when you give that feedback, there has to be a recognition that, okay, he's only giving me this. Now, sometimes, like, there can be unconstructive criticism and that, that can be harmful as well. But, you know, when you're talking amongst the players and you're, you're both trying to, you're, you're both going towards the same goal. So, you're you're trying to help each other. I'm trying to help whoever I'm trying to get the ball and they're trying to help me make my life as easy as possible as well. So, yeah. Um, yeah, I think I think rugby is really good for that. You, you you get a thick skin pretty quickly, but it's it's not just having thick skin. It's also learning that um, you're all trying to help each other because you're all striving towards the same goal um, in sport, and I think that's really important.
1: Yeah, and just going back to South Africa, so like during a tour like that, do you get go to downtime to do the touristy things like hang out and go see different things?
0: You do, yeah. Like I suppose Monday, Tuesday would generally be your big training days. Um, so you wouldn't have a huge amount of free time there, but on on a Wednesday, generally be off for the day, and there's normally team activities and stuff going on. So uh, we were a bit limited in Johannesburg um, in terms of what you could do. It's obviously um, there's a few safety issues there, so they weren't too keen on lads leaving the hotel and stuff. But there's loads of there was loads of things organised, like movie nights or lads were playing poker, that kind of thing. Um, but when we went to Durban, there was yeah, there was deep sea fishing. A few of the lads went shooting, um, and there's a couple of other outdoor activities organised as well. Um, yeah, Durban was great. I really enjoyed it. Um, unfortunately, I had to do a bit of study over there, so I was kind of tied up a bit. Didn't have a huge amount of downtime, but uh, I know it's great. I mean, yeah, like as I said, like there's loads of lads playing cards together all the time. You can see there's different things going on. Even just going for coffees with guys you probably wouldn't normally go with. Um, yeah, like tour, tours are great for that. Um, yeah, as I said before, you, you just have conversations with guys you, you might not normally talk to and it does really help um, build a good team culture. Yeah. What are you studying? Uh, I started studying for the CFAs there about um, about six weeks ago now. So i for my first exam in November. Um, we'll see how that goes. It's been it's been tough now, a lot tougher than I thought it would be. Uh, yeah, I did I did the QFAs. Um, I finished them last year, so I said I'd do something else. Um yeah, and I went with CFAs, but they have been it's been tough so far now, so we'll see how it goes.
1: Yeah, that's some undertaking. I remember when I was working in finance hearing about them and just being like, nah, not for me. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah.
0: No. Um
1: I was I was half
0: thinking about doing a masters, but um yeah, I was actually chatting to Conor Lockman about it. Um I met him I met him a few weeks ago and he did them while he was playing. Um he's a genius, so you probably undersold how tough they were a little bit <laughs> um but I found it tough but it's, it's it's challenging but it's also rewarding as well and it's good to have um good to have something to focus on outside of rugby as well uh, yeah I find sometimes I, I've been pretty good for doing doing bits and pieces outside of rugby but um having something that's a bit more intense like that does um does give you a different focus and probably puts things in a little bit of perspective as well um, and just takes your mind off the game a little bit sometimes too rather than overthinking things which is something i can definitely be guilty of um yeah sometimes you, you carry on poor performances and training in our games um but when you have something like that you can you can flick the switch pretty quickly and, and you know you have to get on with something else so um it's it's been tough but it's been good in that way too
1: yeah and what can other stuff say before this like outside of training was like to to switch off relax or you know try like you say
0: I've I, I do go I yeah over the last couple of years particularly since the first lockdown started I, I started reading quite a lot um I've read a few of the books you have behind you there um that is something that I, I found really helpful and for performance it's been it's really helpful for some of the non-fiction books um there's some great learnings from it like you mentioned belonging earlier I found that really good um I see a deep deep working range behind you as well there are two really interesting books too um so reading will be a big one um yeah, I do a bit of meditation stuff as well to kind of switch off. Um, they'd be the two big ones uh, outside of outside of training and rugby that I kind of use um, to help switch off from the game. Now, since I've started studying for the CFA's, my readings, my reading time has gone down significantly. But um, I still still try and keep on top of things with meditation and um, yeah, big into mindfulness. Actually, um, I've done a few like breathwork classes and stuff as well uh, with a girl called Cathy Scannon in, in Galway, and she's. Yeah, some of those classes are brilliant Um quite different than than your normal mindfulness but um pretty powerful as well yeah they're they're good they, they, you really do you get into you get into a kind of fairly deep meditative state by the end of it after about 30 or 40 minutes so it's that, that was cool yeah I've, I've i really enjoyed that um, and that definitely definitely helps switch off a bit and, and gives you a bit of clarity
1: that's cool. I'm, uh, yeah, I love breathing as well, but I've never done one of those classes. A friend of mine here in Vancouver, I met him for coffee a couple of weeks ago, and he was telling me he did a class that sounds like that. And there was like 12 of them in a room and doing like crazy different rhetoric. Right. And he yeah. said that he was like, yeah, like not hallucinating, but like, yeah, like very also, out of yeah, body. Yeah, it is. It
0: is. Yeah. It, you do. It's it's kind of like some of the Wim Hof breathing, but it's like 30, 40 minutes. Now, it was it was down when they started doing it, so I did it over Zoom, but um yeah there there might be 10 or 12 different people doing it and yeah it's pretty intense all right it is and it it feels really weird at the start but um yeah you get to a pretty cool place after about 30-40 minutes into it so yeah I definitely recommend it she's great as well um yeah Kathy Scanlon if you want to look her up
1: good stuff and then with the meditation when did you start that or start kind of dipping into that
0: that was probably when I moved to hooker um I found that transition from back row very hard and as i mentioned earlier like i'd be very guilty of overthinking i'd be fairly critical myself um and i did read i did read some some books about dealing with pressure uh, i think the the close skill pressure is very different than, than the close skills like throwing and, and kicking like jack could tell you all about it. it it's a completely different um complete different mind space to where you have to be for a rugby match like for for most rugby match,er. You're, as a forward, anyway, you're basically running around trying to kill each other. But then, when you get a set piece like a throw, it's um, you have to bring yourself right back um, and and try and calm yourself down. And um, yeah, I suppose you you get a lot of negative thoughts in your head sometimes when you're when you're in that situation. And everyone's watching you. Things don't go quite when you're throwing, but the, there's certainly moans from the crowds and stuff when you throw a crooked ball in or you overthrow one. There's you can definitely hear people giving out. So. Um, I found mindfulness uh, quite helpful to not completely cut out those negative thoughts, but just to give yourself a little bit of breathing space um, in your own head uh, and and a bit more clarity about what you're doing. You're you're just trying to. You never block out every every negative thought or anything like that, and and that's not even the purpose of it really. But um, it, it does help a little bit just to. To bring yourself back down and yeah, basically give give your give yourself a bit of space in your in your own head. So I think yeah, when I when I was transitioning to Hooker was when I kinda of started the mindfulness stuff and um I got really into it actually. So it's I find I find it massively beneficial.
1: Oh, hundred percent. I think it's incredible. Like yeah, just being able to control your yourself really and not be at the whim of Like you say, like I know myself, you know, you do something wrong and it's just for the whole game. It's like you're just in your head and then it's like, oh, everything's going bad. And but, um, and even throughout your day as well, like even if you're not playing, like just being able to just be just
0: exactly, exactly. Yeah. Now I found particularly when I moved there to Hooker first, if I had one or two bad throws, it would carry on for the whole game. Um, and I'd let it drag into the stuff I would be good at around the pitch, I'd find my whole performance to kind of fall apart. And that happened a couple of times and I was like, I really need to sort this out if I really want to move to hooker permanently. And and that was one of the things that helped. Um look you still make the you still make stupid mistakes, but um I find it just does help. It stops you carrying carrying those mistakes over and over and, and you can park things a lot quicker. Um once you've done it for for a while. Um yeah I do, I find that's that's the biggest help like you might have one bad throw, but then the next one, you can, you can park it and it doesn't ruin your whole game completely. Um, so I think for that alone, it's, it's massively beneficial. But as you said, outside of sport, um, yeah, it's incredibly powerful. Like, um, yeah, it's something that, that everyone should try at least um, because, yeah, I mean, all the, the research into it is, is pretty incredible.
1: Yeah, life's just easier when you're doing it, I think. And yeah. uh, who... Uh, told you about the mindfulness or like how did you get started in it from like you know not having any idea about like when we were I don't know 21 22 like it wasn't a thing and then how did you get started um
0: I suppose some of the books I'd read about dealing with pressure and performance um and some of the podcasts like probably Tim Ferriss podcast would have been one of the first um he interviews a lot of people who are big into mindfulness um a lot of high performing athletes and and high performers outside of sport as well. And that was a common theme that came up, uh, I think in his one of his books, um Tears of the Titans, I think it was, one of the ones that summarises all of his key interviews. Mindfulness was one of the things that came up with nearly every high performer. Um and that kind of resonated with me a bit. I mean, if, if, if every if every nearly every successful people, I think he said like eighty or ninety percent of people interviewed did some some form of mindfulness practice. So when I saw that I was like okay there's something to do this um and some look sometimes you do it and you, you don't feel like you get anything from it at all and you're you are having those thoughts in your head but then you get sometimes when you do it and things click a little bit um and yeah I think when when that does happen and it doesn't happen immediately and sometimes it doesn't happen at all but there is you realize the power of it then and then sometimes in a high pressure situation if you're able to just control your breath or whatever, whatever trigger or process you have to, to get into that state. And then it works. You get that feedback from it, And I think that's when you realize how powerful it really is.
1: Yeah. It's class. And with moving from six to hooker, like how was that? And you were probably what? 22, it was after twenties, wasn't it? Yeah. It was after
0: twenties. I was, it was 2011. So I was 21, 20. Yeah. I think it was December that year. So 2021 when it happened. um, yeah, I think my first year with Comet to Academy, I, I did two years in, in college in Dublin um, and then I got bought into Academy when it was 20, 2021. Um, my first year, um, first year went really well as a six actually down there. Um, I was kind of, I was on the fringe of the squad and I was, I was a young fellow, so I was really happy with that. And I got a cap, but I played, I started, got a start in 20, 2010, I think, uh, 2011 maybe at six and then yeah things are going really well but then the next season they kind of plateaued a bit Um we'd signed a couple of back rows in and uh it was actually one of the back sculpts at the time billy millard uh just mentioned me kind of off the cuff one day he was like look you you could you could be a good six definitely good enough to be a professional rugby player but i think if you if you made the move to hooker um you could you could be an international. I don't think that'll be on the cards for you if you stay in the back row. Um, I didn't really think much of it at the time, but kind of as the season progressed, I wasn't really getting looking at, at all, and uh, I had the conversation with with Nigel, with Eric, and with Dan McFarland at the time about um, making the switch. And I think it was in December. I think it was December 2010 or 11. We decided to go ahead with it, and um, it was tough like it was brutal to be honest <laughs> like my first few games at Hooker were an absolute disaster um, yeah but I, I I suppose the few months after I transferred over I got the opportunity to go over to New Zealand um, during what would have been everyone else's off season went over there for about two months to play a bit of club rugby at Hooker um, and I found that really good I found that pretty helpful, I came back in then and, and Pat Lamb was head coach, Changeover over from Eric and uh, we actually had a couple of injuries at Hooker, I think, that year. And I, I kind of got thrown into the deep end a little bit with it, which I was delighted with at the time. And I remember my first game actually went quite well. Um, I was thinking maybe this, this won't be too bad. It's not as hard as everyone's making it. <laughs> and then, uh, then I had a couple of shockers, yeah. Um, yeah, it was it was pretty brutal. Like, just couldn't, just, as I said, like, just falling apart. Like, I'd make a mistake earlier on, throne-wise, and it would carry on. And it would uh, impact other areas of the game as well. So that was tough. Um, it took me a long time really to to get a handle on that. Um, I did meet up with Andrew McNulty, a sports psychologist, who was, yeah, he went above and beyond for me. Actually, I was, was nobody at the time, and he was very, still is a very big deal. And I, I just mailed him, um, kind of a shot in the dark, and he said if I drove up to Dublin, I think it was on Tuesday evening, he'd, he'd meet me, and he did a session with me, and did a couple of follow up sessions, and um, yeah, even after one session with him, I. Felt a lot better about it. Um, he gave me a few simple techniques and processes to to work with. It's um, yeah, just kind of about mainly building a routine for the throw, like doing the same thing every single time, no matter what. Um, and that alone was was massively helpful. And then then I started reading a bit more um, about how to deal with pressure. Um, and look, it's 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 still a journey. Like I'm still learning all the time, and it's it's not something. Unfortunately, that you just master. I still have still have bad days, but I think probably they don't go from like if your if your average performance is a six or a seven out of ten, it might be like a, a four or a five if you have a bad day. But whereas in that first year as hooker, it was probably like a one or two performance always. So um, I suppose as you get as you get a bit more experience and you learn a bit more about dealing with the pressure, the the kind of bandwidth of. Um, the good days and the bad days kind of narrows a little bit, um, and yeah, I suppose that that bit of that comes with experience, um, but but also like re- reading a bit about the psychology of it and talking to guys like Enda too.
1: Yeah, class. And were you like all in when you went? Like, you know, I could, could, couldn't imagine how tough it is. Like, I fourteen was the last time I played prop front row, but I, you know, it's going from back row into like even scrummaging as well. Like, is like, that cannot be easy. You yeah, know, at yeah. that age as well, and you're stepping in like at that level. You know, it wasn't like your land zone twenties trying it out, or you know, yeah,
0: yeah, that was. Well, yeah, the top, the top. It was probably that I was kind of pretty much thrown into deep end. So, like, all your mistakes are magnified. Like, if you if you have a couple of crooked throws in the A level, it's not the end of the world. But if you do in a of game where well, there's guys, you know, like professionals, they're fighting for their jobs and they're fighting to make the better team that does mistakes they're they're pretty costly and you you can kind of see very quickly the impact um your mistakes have and and that can make you feel a lot worse about yourself and that certainly did at the time um like the throne was the toughest bit the the scrummaging and it's not easy either but um I kind of enjoyed that um, and I know it's still something that I'm learning about and, and trying to be a scrum leader is is another challenge altogether I think I found a reasonable level of competency in scrummaging uh, a lot quicker than I did with throwing, but um, to, to, to be a scrum leader now, which is something I'm trying to develop in my game a little bit, um, something that probably a few coaches had said to me that something I need to work on being a bit more of a voice in the scrum um, and learning a bit more about the intricacies of it. Um, like, I actually found scr- scrummaging hooker, like, you, you, you could do your job pretty well. But I suppose in the last season, I've kind of realised the impact that that I can have on the guys around me, and I I'd probably have been, I probably would have been really quiet at scrum time if things were going wrong. Um, I probably couldn't give much feedback to guys because I, I didn't have the the knowledge. At some some pretty like Tom McCartney, for example, he was brilliant, and um, he had the benefit of playing prop for one season as well. But um, he was able to analyse the scrum inside out, and that's something I'll try to get better at this year. Uh, that was one of my big big work ons. Um, Becoming a bit more of a voice at scrum time and uh, being able to give guys feedback on the pitch um rather than waiting till till after a game and, and analysing it then, you know, being able to analyze the game at the scrum in the moment um, and trying to come up with a solution if things go wrong. And uh, yeah, that's 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 something I'm, I'm still learning to be honest. Um, but I think the the throwing was definitely the hardest part of it. Um just because it's so it's so obvious, and even, even and anyone's watching the game, they know when the bad throw is a bad throw. Um whereas at scrum time, it's probably something that no one really knows what's going on in the scrum. 90% of people don't really know what's going on in the scrum in the game. So even though it might be your fault, it might not look like it. Um and you don't have that that kind of uh, spotlight pressure when you're you've thrown a crooked line out and everyone's looking at you, and you feel like yeah, it's pretty, pretty shit field to be honest. So um yeah, the throne was definitely the hardest. <coughs> Um, I suppose the Scrum, the Scrum side of it, is something that I'm, I'm still trying to develop.
1: Yeah, I want to ask you about that Scrum leader, but um, it is interesting as well as like you say, ninety percent don't know what's going on in the Scrum, and like most people don't know what goes on at lineout either. And I know calling lineouts, like you can be, you can call a poor lineout uh, into the space where they are, and then the, they win the ball, and then everyone always thinks it's the hooker's fault, and like you can like it takes one person to fuck up a, a step or whatever out of a pod you know and, and a line-out caller can get flustered and like panic and there's just so many things anyway we move on so many things in in lineouts that can happen and it's always like oh the hooker you know yeah. but anyway yeah, yeah. yeah. and with yeah. this is there, with the scrum leader so like line-out leader i get that so is it like you'll have one person who is kind of like a scrum captain, or, or the one person who has that chat during the game and is kind of tasked with just making sure that the scrum is going well. Is that what that is?
0: Yeah, kind of. I mean, generally speaking, it's the hooker that will talk to the ref about the scrum time of the game. And, and I suppose earlier on in the season there was there was one incident where we had a yellow card, and uh, it was actually against Leinster early on in the year, and we were struggling on their ball quite a bit. And I remember after the game, Fendi was like, Well, what was your what were you talking to the ref about? And um I, I, I wasn't really talking to him. And he was like, did, did you tell him to to look out that we were down to seven men? And that they were kind of hitting and chasing on their ball. And obviously they had a huge weight advantage. Like, did you did you think to mention that to him? And I was like, No, to be honest, I, like, I hadn't even thought about that. And it's it's kind of little things like that. Um you get the really experienced guys like guys like Rory Best would have been brilliant at this. Tom Cartney was, was unbelievable at it too. Um, having those little conversations with the ref during the game um, is, is a big, big component of it, but also talking to your props, um, either side of yeah. you. Um, it can be easy sometimes when you're, you're up in crap and you're scrummaging with guys like Tag Furlong, Keane Healy and stuff like that. I mean, you, you don't need so much to them, but when you come back to Connacht and, scrumming against probably some guys who've less experience or really talented players, but they're not used to those kind of situations. Like I'm the experienced one now. Um so I'm I'm supposed to be the one giving that feedback to them. And something that I wasn't really doing um and I hadn't had a focus on it at all uh until this year. And it's something something now that I'm really trying to work on. So it's yeah just spending a lot more time watching scrums, talking to guys. Um as I said earlier, having those mini meetings. Um as a front row and, and talking to guys about how they feel in certain situations and trying to plan just trying to plan for what, what might come in the game or, or what might happen in certain situations and if that does happen how we deal with it um, and I think as a hooker traditionally you're the one kind of tasked with that
1: mm. and you know when Billy Millard had that chat with you so did you when did you start thinking that you would play at Ireland or what, like I know everyone wants to play at Ireland but when did that belief kind of come? Um
0: I suppose when when he did say it first, like I, I was never particularly, I was never a star player at school, underage level. Um, I barely made the senior cup team in Black Rock. I was unused sub in the final. Um, so I, I, I never really had international aspirations, to be honest. Um, even when under 20s, like when I got a cap for the Irish under 20s, I, I probably did think that was as, as probably the ceiling for me and I I never really I never really dreamt about playing pro I just thought it was it was kind of a pie in the sky thing um probably until I was twenty twenty one, and then when I moved to hooker I suppose initially that was probably part of the thing that drove me but then after I started having those bad games I was like I'm a million miles away from playing international level so I just kind of focused on trying to be as good as I could be um uh, yeah like to be honest, the international thing was—it was a shock to me even when I got in the Emerging Ireland squad um, initially, because I, I felt I hadn't had a great season that year. But but they went with me, gave me a chance, and uh, again, it was a surprise when I got called in the senior squad. So yeah, um, it's probably only in the last couple of years that the international sort of thing has become a, a proper goal and, and driver of mine, and, and something that. Um, like, yeah you look as you said you're you always dream about it and it's always something that you aspire to do but um as a realistic goal it's probably been only in the last three or four years that I've been like look I, I can do this I can get in that's I can get in that Ireland squad and I'm content for a place um and yeah it's it's probably probably since 2017 or probably 2018 um since then, that's become, that's become a big drive for me. Um, because, yeah, as I said, I, I wasn't a superstar. I wasn't even a star player underage. And I was a bit of a light bloomer. And then when I moved to Hooker at, at 2021, 20, again, it probably put me way down way down the pecking order again. So, um, yeah, those international goals are, have only become a thing for me in the last two or three years, really.
1: And you mentioned that, again, school, say, didn't start... And do you say that like professional even was a pie in the sky? So like have you always just kind of focused on say, I don't know, the net the very next thing in front of you or
0: yeah, well, I suppose at school it was my kind of I thought that the best I could hope for was probably try and make that senior cup team. Um and I really did never think about playing professionally. I played a little bit kind of under underage but I was never in the academies or anything like that really um I prefer I honestly prefer Gaelic football until I was probably 18 as well so um playing for Mayo was always my probably dream until then um but I remember I was training with the Mayo minors then a little bit that summer and they said I had to make a call between the rugby and the Gaelic at that stage and I said I'd go to rugby for that year and it was probably only um I got called into the under 20s for Connacht um at the year we finished school with Nigel um, and yeah, he really backed me and I found the professional setup they had up there with the academy it was unbelievable and it was probably only after that that summer um, I felt like, jeez, maybe, maybe I could make something or have a, have a right crack at this and, and then I broke my leg actually that, the first game of that season so that kind of and I went up to college in Dublin, and I already I, really I th- thought that was it. Then I thought I was going to play club rugby for the Um I was hoping to make the Connacht 20s again this, the previous year, or the next year, and see how that went. But I think after I broke my leg that day, I was like professionalism was kind of out the window for me. And yeah, it wasn't like it hadn't been a goal of mine for for years and years and years. So I was obviously really disappointed. But I just kind of moved on with it, and yeah, I tried to take it step by step from there. Then I. You do always have those big lofty goals and um, but I do try and take it as a step-by-step thing and I think when I moved to Hooker I realized that if I was going to play for Ireland it was a million miles away from it and all I could focus on was the little steps I could make to try and make myself a better player um, try and try to get try on the bench for Connick's first then after that you know try and become a regular starter and just you, you kind of realize as you get older that it's those little incremental steps that are that are most important and you can't always be thinking of the the big big goals it's it's about what you do every single day and the habits you have you know simple things like you just having a having a week planner like when you're gonna do your throne, when you're gonna do your little extra skills those things are so so important and and you can have the big goals and, and goal setting is important but i think it all starts with the habits you have and the routine you set up for yourself and, and doing that every single day um and having that consistency with it it's 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 you know, it's not going to cut it to do you know 100 throws a day for 6 weeks and then you think you're brilliant and you, and you don't do it after that again it's it's just having a routine it might just be 10 minutes a day of one thing and you make sure you have to get that done every single day and over time you start seeing the seeing the benefits of that
1: yeah 100% uh, habits or something I don't know one of those books anyway, read as well but uh the power of it as well like I don't know I didn't, I didn't get it when I was younger as well but you know you just like you say like 10 minutes before training and it's a it's difficult at the start, you know, like doing building these things in and planning the week, it's very, very, very difficult. But then it becomes so easy. You don't think about it.
0: Exactly. Yeah. It becomes second nature after a while. Like I pretty much have like a for a, for an average week or an average match week, I kind of have a, a weekly template of what I need to do. And I might tweak things week to week. Like if I got something wrong in the game at the weekend, I might I might put in an extra skill block of of say breakdown or tackle or carry whatever. But yeah, I, I kind of just have a routine with it now, and, and Jack it probably be the same. And there's some lots of kind it'd be very similar. And it's 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 just having that template in place that you can fall back on uh, all the time. Yeah, it's it's I think Atomic Habits it was a great book about that, um, and it just it just gives you a structure that you're um, that you can fall back on when, when things aren't going great. Like you just know what you have to do a certain even you know you have to tick off a certain amount of boxes uh, the week of a game, no matter how well or how badly you played the week before. Um, You have to be so consistent with that. I think when I was younger, probably after I had a good game, you're not, it's human nature, you you probably slack off a little bit. Um, So having that, having those plans in place and those habits and those routines and it sounds boring and it is, but like you you have to do it and and that's that's the way you become a high performer and and that's what you're kind of striving towards. So,
1: you mentioned earlier how like you would be critical of yourself and that it could be a bad thing. And I was just thinking that would that have been a benefit as well? Because I just think like growing up, like I maybe would have seen that in you, but would that kind of have maybe driven you a bit as well to be better?
0: Oh, a hundred percent. Yeah. Like, yes, yeah, so it's a, it's a blessing and a curse in a lot of ways. It's, it, it does, it does drive you, um, 100%. I think if I, if I didn't have that, I, I wouldn't I wouldn't have made it as a professional. That kind of... Um, I'd be very self-critical. Um, I'd probably guilty of overthinking things at times, but at the same time, if, if I wasn't that way, there's no way I would have made it um, as a pro because there was, there was guys at 18, 19, 20 that were a million times better than me that didn't make it. And maybe a part of that reason is because I was quite driven and, and quite critical myself and always always said a million things i wanted to work on and get better at and um, so i think that's been um it's been a big driver for me um been driven by that kind of fear of failure in some ways but also the 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 kind of want to get better um so as as negative it can be at times it's it's also um i think on, like say a, a game day for example it can be a real negative thing to be overly critical during the game but say on the, the couple of days after game on a Sunday Monday I think if you're not really analysing yourself and, and and trying to work out what you can do better um, you fall back pretty quick um, and I think it's finding the balance of knowing when to switch off that critical side in games and you can never completely switch it off but you know sw- switching off those negative thoughts so it doesn't carry on to the next phase of the next play um Trying to be in the moment in, in in game time, but then when you're going back to analysis, that's when you can really um, dive into things and, and find things you need to work on to get better. So um, it, it it does it does help. I think I think being able to be very critical of yourself um, is one is one of the main things that, that drives you on to that next level, and and you see that with a lot of the top performers as well. Um, they're always looking like the likes of Johnny Sexton, like. um always trying to get better every little thing he can possibly do um he's trying to trying to figure it out and trying to work on it um, and I think if you don't have that um I think if you don't have that you don't go too far in rugby or in life really to be honest so
1: yeah yeah I'd say it's probably like a gray area between uh, like a growth mindset and yeah. being overcritical like you you can't be satisfied really can you no you you can't um
0: but it is it is as I said finding that balance. Like if you're killing yourself on the day of a game or in a match, um, your performance will fall apart. But you have to be able to do that the, the day after the game on the Monday and the Tuesday. And you have to have those honest conversations with yourself and the coaches and um, and other players and and you know actively look for feedback. Like that's it's one thing I found for me. I'm I'm always looking for feedback off anyone I can get it off. Um like i i love going in and having those those conversations with coaches and if they can give you something constructive to work on um that's that's kind of what i thrive on like if someone says look you need to get better at x y or z i'll just do it and I'll, I'll i'll put that in my plan for the week and in three or four weeks time i'll probably be a little bit better than i was um when the person said it to me but i suppose what i kind of struggle with is kind of vague criticism like oh you, you hadn't you know, your scrummaging could be better if some, some coach might say that to you and then you dive into it and um if there's if there's not something specific to work on, that's that's probably where I get frustrated a little bit. Um but when, when you get told something specific, um um as I have been this year about about certain things, um like I touched on the scrum leadership part of it earlier, that was that was an area that some of the coaches identified for me to work on. Um yeah, I throw myself into it and, and and try and get better at it um and i think that's where the growth mindset thing comes into it a lot but yeah it's just being able to switch off that that really critical voice in the high pressure situations is really important um you kind of you have to be you have to learn to put things behind you very quickly but then when you're looking back a day or two after the game that's when you have to really dive into things and, and find areas where you can get better
1: yeah, it's interesting when you say about like getting good, concise feedback, and it's just lazy or bad coaching when someone's like, "Oh, get better at your passing or your kicking or your throwing." It's like, okay, like, but but you're a coach. Your job is to like make me better. So, what exactly do I need to yeah. do to get better? And yeah. yeah, I just know that myself, like coaching is like, yeah, and from being a player, like you know, when you hear these wishy-washy things, like it's like no
0: yeah exactly that 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 does frustrate me it still does frustrate me when you hear comments like that and um, from people you, you know if you when you start asking the, the real questions about when you start diving into things yeah you learn pretty quickly who gives you good feedback and, and who doesn't so um i think yeah for, from a culture perspective uh the more precise you can be um with your feedback uh I think players players thrive on that. I think mo- most players want to hear where they can, you know, specifically get better. But if you hear a kind of general kind of thing, it, it's it's tough to it's tough to work on that sometimes. So for me anyway, the more precise feedback can, I can get, um, I know then I have something to work on and, and I can plan for that. And you know, it might not go perfectly or you might not get to where you want to get to with it with it, but you, you do get better and, and at least you have something actionable to work on. So um yeah, for me that that's that's a big driver
1: for sure and with the weekly planner like do you sit down on a Sunday and just jot out like everything you need to do and just put it on days or do you kind of like plan yeah. your day or how do pretty you know much that? yeah like, I'd, I'd
0: have a kind of I'd kind of have a template of a normal match week that I would go on and then on a Sunday on a Sunday evening I kind of make whatever tweaks I need to make um like if we're traveling on a Thursday for a game or something I'll I'll front the week a bit more than I usually would um but it's just like at this stage, it's kind of just changing things around. Like once you have the, for me anyway, like my week planner will be, will be quite similar with, with a few little tweaks week to week. Um, and that'll be things like your mindfulness. I would throw every day um, on a match week. Um, and it's just fitting in where you, where you can get that in, where it's like, if you have a, if you have a, a unit session for forwards, I'll, I'll try to get my throws in you know, just before that. So I'm, I'm warmed up and primed and ready to go. I don't want to go into a session where my first, first couple of minutes and just warm it up, like, that's, that's wasting everyone else's time. So, um, yeah, it's just fine finding where you're going to do. Once you get – like, we got our we get our schedule for the week on a – usually a couple of weeks before, to be honest. But on a Sunday, I'll look through that, and I'll fit in whatever I need to get done yeah, based on that schedule then.
1: you reading any good books at the moment?
0: Uh, no I haven't been reading anything the last since I started the CFA yeah so um, no it's it's been slow um, but yeah I did, I, did, I did do a lot of reading over lockdown I suppose Tribe was one that I found um, by Sebastian Younger. That's, that's one of my favourites actually it's a nice short one um, kind of touches on um, kind of touches on the importance of team Um not not directly to sport, to be honest, but um, he does a lot of research on um, kind of army veterans um, suffering from PTSD and stuff like that. And there's a bit of overlap with that with athletes as well. When they leave a uh, professional sport and setup, there's you kind of don't have the same bonds in normal life that you probably would in sport or in things like the army. Obviously, the army is a million times more intense than anything we do, but um, you do have a, like a, a shared purpose when you're when you're in, as part of a team and. you you do see that with a lot of athletes when they retire they they kind of lose that shared purpose and shared drive like when they go into a different workplace environment sometimes you're not all working towards the exact same same goal really Um, I found that book really cool Um, I'd recommend it to anyone to be honest Um, yeah there's a lot of powerful stuff in it
1: nice we'll put on the list Um, with the army stuff I find that so interesting with like leadership team building culture like all that kind of carry on do you um... To look into like any of that,
0: yeah, yeah, I do. Um, I actually, I did, I did study leadership and management. Um, I did a master's in that, and the yeah, I think for for sport and the army, there's such a big overlap, um, and I think sport is taking so much from um, from the army and military leaders. Um, uh, it's it's incredible. There's there's some real gold there. Um, there's a book I read over lockdown. I think probably butchered name. I think it's "Turn Turn the Ship Around." I think it might be called by General Sonny McChrystal. Um, that's another great one. Uh, there's just so much overlap, um, and they, they do so much good stuff on team building. Uh, so for for any workplace environment um, when you're trying to build a team culture, and culture is a word that gets thrown around a lot, but um, I think that book's a really good one on on how to build it properly. Um yeah, the like army is all about, you know, your your life's on the line basically. So if you don't have if you don't trust the guy that's beside you, um you're gonna be in serious bother. And yeah, as I said, there's a huge overlap of sport there. So there's there's so much to learn from from the military, I think.
1: Yeah, it's it's I know you say like that it's a million miles different from what you do to the army, but it's a lot closer what you do compared to like normal going into an office. Like there are yeah, like yeah. <clears throat> even chatting to Dave Galbraith, the sports psychologist who's with Japan and the chief was with the chiefs, all those. And he said like rugby is a battle. And he talked about like preparing the Japanese for battle, the way the samurai is prepared. And, and it's, you know, it, it is like very similar and you're going out there, you can get hurt, like, you know, like it's, yeah, yeah, there's, yeah. There's yeah,
0: no, when yeah. When you're on the pitch, you are basically trying to hurt the opposition all the time. You <laughs> know, that's probably not the right way of putting it, but you are like when you're tackling someone, you're carrying into someone, like you're trying to run over the top of them, or or absolutely smashing. So, and um, there is there is that overlap in it, particularly on a game day. Um, yeah, you can't get injuries; your, your life's probably on the line most of the time. But uh, there, there is there is a lot of overlap there, right? Um, especially compared to uh, your your normal nine to five job. Um. So there's so much there's so much you can learn from them, um, especially the the top top guys. There's uh, yeah there's a lot of gold in there.
1: And what are the plans after rugby? Thinking into like CFA investments that kind of area.
0: Yeah, I'm I'm not sure still to be honest. Um, it's something that does keep you up at night sometimes when you, you're always worried about. Like a lot of my friends would have had to finish a lot earlier than they wanted to. wouldn't um, Dave to be Good example like he was, you know, absolutely flying it, an unbelievable career, and then you know, I picked up a couple of concussions and he had to call it a day way before, way before he should have had to retire. Um, and yeah, he's, he's one of my best mates, so seeing that firsthand, um, it does it does scare you a bit, which is probably a good thing. Um, so I've always tried to, um, be doing things on the side like I, I i did do college my parents were insistent that when i went down to go with i'd continue my degree and stuff and, and i did finish that out and i've um yeah i did the, i did the master's in leadership management which um which was great because there was a lot of there was some business stuff in it but i, I found it really really helpful for sport too yeah, i read a lot of great uh, papers and, and and books in that course and um i found it's helped me kind of as a leader like i'd be quite a quiet guy but um it does help you with your leadership skills, um, in Connacht anyway. So, um, that was something I'd done. And then, yeah, f- finance is probably something that I would be interested in. And I would read, I would have read a lot about in the last couple of years. And I think maybe like why I decided to do the CFAs was cause it was kind of a good crash course in, in everything finance related and, and you really have to throw yourself into it. So I'm going to give them a crack and see how I get on. Um, It'll be tough, tough to do them all. But if I could have even one of them done by the time I finish playing rugby, um, it would give you good grounding or a good base at least anyway. So um, I still don't know exactly what I want to do. Uh, unfortunately, I'm 31 now. It's <laughs> probably not too many years left, so I do need to figure it out. But um, I suppose I just don't want to be in a situation where I feel like I need to keep playing when I'm not enjoying it anymore. Um, I still absolutely love it. Um, and and hopefully that day won't come but I think you know for a lot of guys here that the last year or two maybe they're playing because they feel like they have to and they don't have something lined up outside so I, I don't want to be in that situation hopefully um and that's why when I, I went for the CFAs because at least if you had one of them done by the time you finish playing you'd have some sort of a career path and it might open a few doors for you so um I don't know exactly what I'd like to do, but I think maybe something finance related. It's something I find interesting. Um I, I can't see myself at the moment going into coaching, but I know a lot of players say that and then a couple of years after they finish up they get the itch again. So maybe but um I think I think for a while anyway, I'd like to try something completely different. Um and then maybe get into maybe I'll come back to rugby at some stage. But um yeah, I think finance for me would be something that that I find fascinating and um kind of something that a lot of other sports people have gone into when they finish playing as well it's it's competitive um and I think uh, there'd be there'd be some tie over there so yeah that's that's what I'm thinking at the moment but yeah it could all change I'm not, I'm not really sure and um, hopefully a few more years left I'll have a bit more bit of a clear thought process when that time comes that I do have to hang up the boots but um yeah, for the moment i think finance is what i'll be leaning towards that's <clears> one
1: <throat> and um would you think of playing a year or two anywhere else like later down the line
0: yeah um it's something that would would have always <coughs> impressed me I'm playing somewhere else like i've been a Connacht for over 10 years now um and i absolutely love it so like i've i'm not i, I don't really want to leave or anything um but playing, playing, somewhere else, playing for a different team, it would be really cool to experience a different culture. Um, I've never lived outside of Ireland for more than a couple of months. Like New Zealand was probably the longest stint I had living abroad, and that was maybe three months. So, um, yeah, I think some playing somewhere like France for a year, maybe two years, would be would be really cool. Um, but again, I'm I'm, I'm really happy at Connacht at the moment, and um, it's been a frustrating season, but um, I think the last few weeks we kind of. I feel like we are building something a little bit more, and yeah we're we're a long way off where we need to be, but uh, I've seen myself in the last three or four weeks um there's been a bit of a shift um in the squad and and the management are, are unbelievable at facilitating that as well so uh, the coaching setup we have there in Connacht is is incredible at the moment, and um kind of want to work with those guys a lot more and yeah maybe down the line, play somewhere else um I think it would be it would be a cool thing to do to go abroad and Challenge yourself in the environment, um, but I, I've I've no plans in place with that right now. That's
1: enough. Um, just two more questions, but one like with practicing throwing. So I'm just even thinking of players I coach. But like, what kind of are there any things in particular that help you? Like I'm just seeing another one, a girl who moved from hook or from back row to hooker as well is doing really well. But like, that's a kind of thing a lot of people do or start throwing a bit later. But anything in particular that helps you?
0: Um, I suppose well, there's obviously all the technical work-ons. Um, having having a proper routine, like it's, it's worth writing down exactly what your setup is, even when we go from when when the ball is kicked to touch, for example. What what your thought process is while you're walking towards the touchline, like my first, for example, my routine would be kind of look for a tail, look for the ball first, and then you know take a deep breath, and then you. Every individual will have their own throwing setup, but. Um, it's worth writing it down exactly what you're going to do like where you're going to place your feet exactly, shoulder width apart or whatever um, and where you put your hand on the ball even like I try and always have the valve of the ball as one of my trigger points um, where I want um, my little finger to be and and having having that really precise and then when you're practicing, practice that way every single time so make it a proper routine and it's, it's, it's so ingrained in you that like when it comes to the actual match day that it's nearly second nature. So um, having that routine nailed down and and everyone's got a different setup, everyone's got a different process, but uh, it's just practicing your process as many times as you possibly can. Um, So when game day comes, it is second nature and and all you're worrying about is whatever specific call is, but you don't want to be thinking about, oh, how am I setting up here or like doing different things every time. I think for kickers, it's the exact same. Just getting that process and then, Practicing shit out of it again and again and again and again during the week, um, and in the preseason as well. So, um, it's 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 all comes back to that habits and routines basically. Um, like drills and stuff, they can be great and they they're they're really good when you're starting out particularly. And and I I still do I still do a lot of drills earlier on in the week, but kind of would do my drill based stuff maybe on a Monday or Tuesday, and then as it comes closer and closer towards the match, it's all. It's all match specific stuff, so maybe when you're building your weekly plan, start with your skill-based stuff. If you need to develop power or not on your technique, and you're trying to hone that in on a Monday or a Tuesday. But then when it comes down to Thursday, Friday, it's all match specific. What throws you're going to be throwing in the game. Talking to the lineup leaders helps that as well. Whoever's going to be calling, like what what calls are you thinking here, and, and tell them what throws you like. Even little things like that can be, can be a massive help. Like if things aren't going well, you might like a certain throw. You can say to them that like, look, if if one or two things go wrong, like this or a banker ball, let's let's just go to that and, and win the ball and we can take it from there. So those little things help. But yeah, just just having that week plan. And for me anyway, it's those little the drills at the start of the week. And then as you get towards the game, it's more and more match specific.
1: Good stuff. And if you could relive one day in your career, what would it be?
0: One day. Um I probably would have to be the one you won the the pro twelve in twenty sixteen. That was Um, incredible. Uh, yeah, that was a special, special day. Um, yeah, either that or probably my second cap for Ireland. My my first game for Ireland didn't go well, and I didn't enjoy it. Didn't enjoy the build up even because I was so nervous, and didn't wasn't happy with how I played. So I I didn't get the chance to play for Ireland again for another two and a half over two and a half years after that. So yeah, again, that second cap was um was another really special day. It was during lockdown, so my family couldn't be there, unfortunately, but um. That was a really, really proud one for me, and, and kind of um, that was massive for me. That was it was always after after that first cap for Ireland. I always wanted to have another crack at it because I didn't feel like I did have myself justice there. So uh, those two days were were ones that stick in the memory definitely, and yeah, they're really special ones.
1: Great stuff. And with the like not enjoying it there, like I'm sure everyone can relate to that. And are you at a place now where like you enjoy? Big games like enjoy playing, like say the recent hiding cup games and yeah, definitely. Um
0: well, I suppose when I was younger I was always I used to hate the build up. Um I didn't like that side of it at all, and, and will come with a huge amount of nerves, but um yeah, in the last couple of years I, I find myself a lot more relaxed. You're still nervous. The hour a couple hours before the game are always tough, <laughs> to be honest. I don't I don't think I'll ever lose that, but um yeah, you, I think last couple of years, one of the big games come around. They're the ones you you're looking forward to the most, hundred percent. Whereas when I was younger, uh, it was probably the opposite. To be honest, um, didn't enjoy it. You kind of let nerves overtake things, and um, but now it's yeah, it's 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 definitely a lot easier. I think that just comes with a bit of experience as well. To be honest, um, but yeah, I find I find the whole the whole build up a lot more enjoyable now than I used to. Um, and you kind of just have to realize that, like when when you feel those nerves, it's it's a good thing. And and the big game is the reason you play. So I kind of always remind myself that when you start questioning yourself and start feeling nervous before a big game, it's like, well, this this is this is why you do all the training. These are the big moments that, that you live for and that your family would be proud of if it goes well. So um, yeah, I've i found I've found that a lot more exciting in the last year too. And I kind of don't let nerves overtake things as much.
1: Good stuff. Well hey both been unreal catching up chatting and uh yeah best of luck with the next five, six, seven years playing.
0: <laughs> hopefully, hopefully. That was good. To chat it. To Thanks, America, Brian.
1: Just quickly, thank you so much to all of you who have left a rating and a review on Apple Podcasts. Really appreciate it. Love hearing your feedback. If you haven't yet, would you just open your phone now, go into the podcast and Let me know what you liked about this chat on the pod or just the pod in general, really appreciate it. It was great catching up with Hef and chatting. The two of us went to the same primary school when we were younger and played underage together for Ballina Rugby Club in County Mayo. Hef's a year older than me and was a year ahead of me in school. It was funny was just thinking back when I was editing this. That when we were in primary school, my class used to play soccer against his class every day at lunch, and there was no referees, no teach. Well, there was one teacher that'd be banging around for like a hundred or two hundred kids, and we all used to absolutely kick lumps out of each other. It was <laughs> it was unreal crack. And then yeah, the two of us loved it. And every day at three o'clock, we used to wait back after school with two or three others, and then. We played 2v2, 3v3 um, soccer in the yard, and yeah, it was good times. Then after that, we went to different secondary schools. We both went to local ones, and then when he was 15, he went to Blackrock in Dublin. I went to Ross Grey in Tipperary, but after we both left school, then we played together on the Connacht under-20s team, and then a handful of times together for the Connacht Eagles, which is like Connacht's A-team. It's unreal what he's gone on to do in the game and yeah, what he's currently doing. I mentioned at the start how there's a good one for learning lessons and getting advice and all that and yeah, you heard it. He was a sub on his school team, never a star player growing up like he said but you heard exactly what he did from there to get to where he is now and just to make a note as well he was always a very good player. Not, I know he's saying that he wasn't a star player which... I understand, but yeah, he was always a good player growing up. Um, But a saying I like as well from Tony Robbins is success leaves clues. So listen to people who have been successful in what you want to do and learn from them. Pick up the clues. Learn what you can do differently and implement yourself because there's common themes and If you've listened to other episodes, you'll hear them, you'll hear kind of similar things coming up, and this, to be honest, this kind of mindset or understanding just clicked with me big time about three, four years ago, and I started reading, like, ferociously into coaching books, psychology, philosophy, self-help, those kind of things, because, yeah, it it just kind of started to make sense, and it's kind of like what Hef did when he was younger when he was saying that he, when he was 22, 23 he wanted, needed to get better at some of the kind of mental sides of the game, like performance and that and he just went reading, went listening to podcasts and all that kind of stuff and I've mentioned it before, like my idea one of the kind of reasons I started this is because when I was younger I didn't have this kind of resource or I couldn't hear from players like Hef and all the others I've had on And I just think it's so valuable for young players to hear from experienced players of how it was, how it is and just everything. Because I've mentioned this before again, but I thought when I was younger that anyone who was successful in anything in life never had struggles, never had challenges and that they just had like a straight line to the top and that they were just maybe inherently better or th- things just fell their way or they just got lucky or yeah that it was not difficult for them but it's just not the case obviously it's about how you deal with those challenges how you overcome them and yeah there's just lots of commonalities and learnings it's mad how as you get older you see how valuable experience is in all areas of your life one that came up in the pod and which comes up regularly is nerves how I think over time you get better at dealing with nerves like everyone gets nervous that's something that has become really apparent chatting to different people but I see it now myself when I'm mentoring young players and doing mental performance sessions with teams there's lots and lots of common things that come up that I myself would have struggled with have talked also about not really believing in himself when he was younger I didn't know that but I was the exact same and so many others are too like it's such a common thing and that's actually something that I love working with young players now on because when you flip self-doubt to self-belief it is incredible how much better a player you become like kind of instantly you know it's it's not like the gym where or skills where you kind of work and work and work and over time over six months or a year you see those gains because they're kind of like small incremental gains but with the mental side yeah of course it's a constant work on all the time but I feel that you can and from my experience that you can get some brilliant gains like have talked to once again about talking with Enda mcnulty and he did one session and he felt great after and did a few follow-up sessions after that but you can't go to the gym three four five times and be changed or have like be way better or you can't do three four five skill sessions but yeah in that chat he have kind of talked about doing a few sessions with of mcnulty and that's just something that I've found as well in working with players, which is, uh, yeah, really rewarding and, yeah, just brilliant to see. If you liked this chat, another one you will like is the episode of Michael Basca. There's similarities in their stories. Basca didn't start on his university rugby team when he was 22, and now he's playing professionally in France and also with the US Eagles. And what these two lads had have i'm sure still in common is that they just work hard and like outwork everyone around them or to get to where they did yeah they just outworked everyone else and now at the moment it's end of season and i'm doing end of season reviews with the girls that i coach in ubc and it's something that is so simple but players I think sometimes don't really want to hear but if you want to get to your next level and if you're deadly serious about it like you know some people say it some people think it some people whatever but if you're absolutely serious about wanting to get to your next level wherever whatever that is for you personally you have to outwork everyone around you you have to be like Basca a bit of a nickname he had was the hardest worker in the room like, you need to look around at your teammates that you're on right now and make sure that if there was an anonymous survey done in your team with all the players and all the coaches and they asked who's the hardest working player in the team, that every single player will say you. Because I know the team I'm in right now, or sorry, the team I'm coaching right now, it's unanimous who the hardest working player is and in different teams i've coached like lyndon wood unanimous basket and similarly with you know looking back at Connacht underage or whatever and different teams it's kind you? Of, it's understood who the hardest working player is and that's just what you need to do so you know some people want to hear oh you know just do this little easy thing or whatever but yeah sometimes it's it's not too technical. You just got to get after it and just work hard day in, day out. Thanks a mil to those of you that support the podcast on patreon.com forward slash Rugby. It's the price for coffee each month. It's only small, but it genuinely means more than you can imagine. Thank you so, so much. Also, when you support the pod, I let you know who's coming up in the next week or two and get your questions for them if you have any so if you want to be an absolute legend and buy me a coffee essentially because you enjoy this podcast you enjoy listening to it on whatever you do going for your walks going to the gym whatever it is i want to thank me for the work that goes into making it you can do so on patreon.com forward rugby and the link is in the podcast description here also Next week, I'm chatting with a guy who has won a few Heineken Cups, so make sure you're subscribed wherever you're listening now so you don't miss that and any other episodes going forward. Cheers for clicking in today. Send the pod on to some friends and enjoy the sun this week. If it is starting to come out where you live, it is here in Vancouver where I am and it's unreal. Have a good one.